Welcome back, folks, to the ever-changing and always exciting lighting industry. This is the lighting industry's number one podcast, and that has been made possible by you, the listener. So welcome to another episode of Get a Grip on Lighting. On today's show, we're going to introduce you to some new technology that you may find interesting, you may not. But right now, I'm going to tell you that this episode of the show and many episodes of this show have been brought to you by Keystone Technologies, our friends, our pals, our allies, our co-belligerents. At Keystone Technologies. Go to K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com. Greg, KeystoneTech.com. When you want new technology and LED lighting, Keystone is one of the number one sources to go to. They're always coming up with innovative products. And one that they have right now is a vapor-tight fixture. It's in a 2-foot, 4-foot, 8-foot, 2,400 lumens up to about 12,000. It comes standard with stainless steel clips. They thought that through. They didn't say, oh, we're going to put on plastic little plastic ones that are going to break. Come on, man. They did it up. Impact-resistant polycarbonate lens, narrow body, and it doesn't look like your standard vapor tight. So it's got a cool, sleek look. They're they're doing it right again. Keystone has a vapor tight fixture that you need to check out. So go to KeystoneTech.com. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com, baby. KeystoneTech.com. Yo, Greg, our membership drive for nailed. 2020 is yes. coming out, man. What's the challenge? We need more members in nailed. You need to join nailed if you're a lighting distributor. If you're a lighting contractor, you can join Nailed. If you're an electrical distributor, you should join Nailed, especially here in that. Fine. Why the heck are there lighting distributors when electrical distributors sell lighting? <sighs> All you electrical distributors out there, why don't you come on down, hang out with us for a bit and see why? Huh? We are allowed to have electrical distributors in Nailed, so come on in, join us. Actually, we just interviewed AM Electric, huh? So electrical distributors can join Nailed. Come on down. Our conference is coming up in Biloxi, Mississippi, Greg, April 19th to 23rd. Come on down. But for right now, we're going to give you some new technology. It's a light switch with an algorithm and some artificial intelligence on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, Colin Billings. Thanks for having me on, guys. So say hi to Greg Eric before we get started. (laughs) Hey, Greg. Hi, I was worried you weren't going to say that, Mike, so thank you. I almost didn't. It would have been the first time, I think, in, in a, you know, 100 episodes or something like that. So, yeah. so Colin, you have a, a unique product coming out. I see it in the background there for the YouTube viewers. Um, tell us a little bit about your unique light switch and, and why it's different than the other ones on the market. Yeah, we're the makers of the Oro Home Lighting System, um, which today is uh, centered around the Oro switch, which is the first switch and lighting system of your home that takes you to a world where your lights just respond to you. Um, so that's really the, the big difference here um, in lighting uh, is that, you know, up until Oro has been around, everything has been a conscious decision in your home about lighting. Uh, you think about it most of the time you walk over and adjust the light. Um, today, sometimes you can use a remote control or something like Alexa, but those are all thinking decisions. With Oro, you just walk around your house and your lights are perfect. So is it an occupancy sensor or what is it exactly? We call it a presence sensor. Um, so most occupancy sensors uh, in lighting controls use one sensing modality. Sometimes that's uh, motion through infrared. Other times that's a, a form of ultrasonic detection. We actually combine uh, a number of signals together to get an understanding of is a person there and what's the characteristics of that activity. Um, a, a key part of that is combining both motion sensing and audio uh, sensing to the environment. So is it listening uh, it is listening um, technically. Um, it is not recording. Um, there are two microphones um, on the each and every switch, and that is sensing uh, the auditory signal of the space. So things like, is there sound? What is the characteristics of the sound? Um, intensity, frequency, uh, a lot of sort of statistical analysis of that. And that gives us a picture of um, what types of activities are happening and how they relate to previous activities that we've seen inside of a space. Um, so we've all had the experience of, you know, motion sensors in conference rooms where you walk in and you don't move and the lights turn off. That doesn't happen with Oro. Uh, if you walk in, you turn on your TV and you're sitting down watching Netflix, we know that you're still there um, and we can keep the lights on at the right level. When did you guys start your company? We started uh, at the end of 2015. So it's been a little over three and a half years now. And did you have any lighting background before you started this? Uh Personally, I had no sort of professional experience in lighting. Um, I had been, um, you know, Oro came out of what was probably about a, a two-year journey of trying to do lighting 
automation like activities inside of my home. Um, I really had an experience around um, a product called Flux on my computer that really helped me understand the way that light influences how I sleep. Uh, and I, I sort of asked the question of, of why wasn't the artificial lighting in my home doing something very similar? Uh, and I thought, you know, at the time that with smart bulbs and other products that were on the market, you know, in the early, uh, you know, sort of 2011, 2012 period, that I should be able to do this. Um, but after buying, installing, and trying to use really everything on the market, short of, uh, you know, Lutron homework system, uh, even Radio Raw, um, I struck out. And that was where I really learned, you know, sort of about the opportunity, um, you know, in lighting controls, but also the way that it can make your life um, much more comfortable, easy, um, increase your quality of life. So these uh, switches that you have work with any light bulb right now. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, so we support incandescent halogen, LED, MLV, and ELV. Uh, we also do support fluorescent, although we do not dim it. Um, and so for most home applications, you will find uh, that it will be compatible. We do not support low voltage dimming at the moment. So do you guys, when you talk about having the perfect light, does color matter, the color of the light for a person? So color does play a role in, uh, you know, particularly sort of the way that light affects your, your health in some, some particularly important ways. Um, however, we only control the power that goes to the load, which means that we're a dimmer. Um, and, and we only control the intensity. Um, so light, uh, the color quality does matter. Um, however, as I'm sure all of you are, you know, you know quite, um, probably talked about before, warm dimming technologies are really becoming a lot of the standard and new fixtures. Um, so controlling the power is also effectively controlling the color temperature. So if someone buys these and they will, they, let's say they, they take a pack of 10, they go home and they install them. What do they do next? If you install a pack of 10, um, you'd put it in, you know, most of the rooms of your house, depending on how big your house is. Um, for the next, uh, you know, roughly two weeks, sometimes faster than that, you use it, um, like a normal light switch with the exception that Oro is automatically turning on the lights when you enter rooms and it's, you know, automatically turning lights off, um, after you've been gone for a while. Uh, but as you're adjusting the lights across the day, you can adjust it from the switch itself. You can connect it to Alexa or, or you know, any one of the voice assistants. There's even a mobile app that you can use. We're basically making memories of those uh, adjustments and mapping them to the patterns of activity that we see. Um, and so after about two weeks, which is you know, roughly the length of the learning period, we are becoming near fully autonomous, right? So after about two weeks, we're at 95% of the lighting adjustments made in a space are made by Oro. Uh, and on average, making more than five, five more adjustments um, a day than you would make normally on your own. So uh, you are, uh, you know, getting the right level of light throughout sort of, you know, natural daylight transitions in the morning and the evening all on automatically from oral. And does it uh, go with the seasons as well? Does it, is it able to read the day and time and know that the fall is darker and, or has a photo cell built into it? How does that work? It has a photo cell. So there's ambient light sensor on the device. So we understand the context of what's going on. Right. And so that's really important because as a, as a, as you know, each and every one of us may walk into a room, we're sort of going through a whole set of decisions, um, about, you know, our lighting environment and then making an adjustment manually today. Um, one big component of that is how bright is the room currently? Um, and so we're measuring that and we're understanding sort of how the current level of lighting maps to where you would prefer it to be. Uh, and, you know, if necessary, making adjustments um, on the on the lighting sources that we control. So you have you have um, you've installed these. You're monitoring it for two weeks. And the thing, I guess, is continuously learning the patterns of your home or whatever. Um, how does it do that? Uh, how does it learn? Uh, yeah. Like so, you know, basically, uh, you know, it starts out with a sort of a default sort of uh, schedule, not a schedule, a, a curve to the lighting for every day. Um, so waking up in the morning, it'll start out soft and sort of sunrise in the morning, bright during the day, unless there's a lot of natural light and you'd be off. Um, and then sort of the opposite of that as you approach your bedtime. Uh, and so as you walk into a room, if the light's not where you want it to be, um, most people will make an adjustment, right? You know, if light's not right, that's one of, one of the first things you're adjusting in a space. Uh, and so those, uh, those inputs, right? So those, those adjustments made by the occupant, um, are essentially recorded on the device, um, in, in connection to the time, the location in the, in the home, 
um, and the set of activities that happened before and after that. Um, and then we are essentially building a model that allows us to predict the light level that you want, given what we've seen happening prior to your arrival or, you know, prior to that moment in the home and where we are currently with, you know, total light in the room. Um, you know, again, making adjustments as necessary. How many of these have you, you sold? Think, yeah. So we don't disclose the exact number of switches that we've done, but we are, we are over a, a thousand devices in the in the field today. Okay. And do you guys think the are you guys looking at commercial at some point, or is it all sticking to residential? We're starting with residential. I think that um, the sort of the core technology around the lighting control and making it you know autonomous, we call it responsive lighting, um, is applicable in all building categories, right? We've known for um, you know, basically a hundred years now that humans are pretty poor at managing their light. About 50% of it is wasted, um, because people aren't in the room or the room's already bright enough, uh, or, you know, there's, you don't need as much light as you're using at that moment in the day. Um, and so being able to sense a space, understand what's going on in it and be able to, to adjust the lights to meet the, the needs of that environment at that time is applicable really anywhere a light is. Um, so today we're proving it in the residential and, you know, we think it will apply far beyond that in time. You said it's like an iPhone for your home, for your lights or your light switches or something like that. That's what the, in the, in the, um, in the, uh, in the bio I read. And so can it be overridden? Of course. Uh, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, imagine, you know, a self-driving car, right? There's still a steering wheel and there's still an ability to sort of come in and be able to make adjustments, um, you know, or turn right when you want it, when it thought it wanted to turn left, right? Um, it's still a light switch. It's, you can walk over it. it you can make an adjustment right there. Can you do it um, right now? Uh, I don't think this one is actually connected, but... Okay. Um, uh, the, uh, you know, it, it lights up. There's an interface on the front that allows you to move between a set of presets, um, or, or sort of stages within the dimmer very easily. It has very granular dimmer. You grab it, you can slide it up and down to get, you know, if you really care about getting 14% and not 12%, you can do that, uh, on the dimmer. Uh, and then you can connect it, you know, to really any way that you interact with your lights already. Um, so if that's a mobile app, we have a mobile app for that. If you, use Alexa or one of the voice assistants, you can connect to that and, you know, speak to your smart speaker. Um, you know, we're, we're really providing the everyday experience. And then there's always that, that, that case where you want it to be different and it's really easy to change. You need a, a separate speaker in order to tell it, like if you can, you sit in a chair and say, dim the lights or turn the lights on full or whatever, or a setting you so want. That today, voice control is only supported with a smart speaker. Um, that today, that's Alexa and Google. Um, you know, using the microphones, we also have a speaker on the device, um, and it connects to the internet if you choose to. Um, there are really sort of two long-term possibilities that we're working on. One is that these will have voice assistants built in, so it'll actually have Alexa or Google like on board the switch. So instead of having to get a, a smart speaker for your bathroom, you can have an Aura switch. Um, and still get all the capabilities of voice control of your lights, plus everything else that comes with the voice assistant. Um, it's also more than capable of doing local voice commands. So you could be, you know, sitting, um, you know, at your desk in your office and say, you know, turn the lights up to 100% and it would be able to respond to that. Those are not currently available, but they're on the roadmap. Greg, do you think people want that? Uh, I think certain people do, yeah. I, I think it's a... You know, a, a cool factor still. A lot of our, our controls we talk about is that. Um, you know, so I have what, something in my house that I can do this with. But yeah, but you don't use it. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the, like, I mean, uh, I like this idea. So commissioning, you install the switch, that's it. You just connect the, the, white, the two wires and off to the races you go. <clears throat> It's the same set of wires. It does require a neutral wire. Uh, you just disconnect <laughs> your old switch. You know, of course, the power off. <laughs> Plug it into the back of the Aura switch, turn the power on. Uh, there's a set of commissioning steps there that, um, you know, select the load, you know, calibrate. A lot of these things are becoming more and more automatic for the customer. Uh, and then, you know, you have a step at the, at the final stage, which is to decide whether you want to connect it to the internet or not. Um, and if you connect to the internet, then you get a lot of functionality that, um, of course, is required uh, of the internet. So remote control, if you want to adjust your lights when you're not at home. Uh, you know, any of our integrations rely on the internet. Um, the other one is that the system operates without relying on the internet. 
So if at any time your router is not connected, your lighting inside your home will, will behave exactly the same forever, uh, you know, for 10 years, uh, the life of the product. Hmm. Now, who is the who's the user in this case? I'm going to give you an example. Uh, at my house, when I w- watch TV, I want to have the lights off. My wife wants to have one of the lights on and dim. What, who's going to listen to me? <laughs> who's the switch going to listen to, me or my wife? <laughs> Greg, we call those social problems, you know? So, okay. you know, I, I'm, so we got to work yet, it out. Uh, we're not yet solving that one. Um, yeah. You know, we, we, we sort of have two sort of thoughts on that today. Um, and one is sort of where we're going. Um, the first one is that, uh, you know, is that identity is pretty important, you know, in some cases in the home. Um, but it's not yet the sort of place where we've seen, we've experimented with it as the sort of next step for us to get the, the, the most improvement and having the lights basically have no human interaction required to have the right level. Um, at some point, identity might be interesting um, as that next step for us. Um, the second is that uh, often rooms in the home, I mean, the, the, maybe the family room where the TV is, is a, is a very shared environment, but a lot of the other rooms in a home are, are, are sort of more specific to whoever lives in them um, or occupies or use them a lot. So there is some sense of identity and preference that's more uh, specific to, to the different spaces in the house. Uh, and then there are scenes, um, you know, sort of the basic expectation, you know, baseline expectations for a lighting system for, you know, a home or a larger building. And so uh, you could have Greg's TV time and then you could have your wife's TV time. Um, and those are available for you um, at a tap of a button or a request by voice. Does it do therapy with your wife? No, I'm just joking. Um, the... Uh... <laughs> We'd make more money if we did that. Probably. You need to but, learn to negotiate, yeah. Greg, with Nikki. But, you know, you well, to I, give I, and take. I win. But, yeah, right. Nikki, <laughs> if I give up the light switch. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting. Our wives never listen to our podcast. The, um, <laughs> you want to get metaphysical here? You want to get metaphysical here for a bit? Because, and we'll loop back to light switches in a minute. But, you know what's weird about TV? It's like humans have been staring at vertical light for thousands of years it's like it just the tv replaced the fire place so people at night they go down and they sit down and they want the lights dim and they want to look at a fire that's what tv is right and then you have this light switch and you're saying we don't even need the the naked apes to turn us on or off we're just going to know what to do for these pathetic naked apes it's just going to be the right light level at every time and all this artificial intelligence and stuff that i read about it's like why do we even need the humans? Like that's, to me, it's like we're building this cocoon or this chrysalis to like launch some AI species and you're starting with my damn light switch, Colin Billings. Well, um, you probably have a lot bigger problems to be thinking about and using your mind, your, your brain for than, you know, are my lights on or off or at the right level? So it feels like a pretty good way to be helpful to us. Mm. Um I think it also, to your point, like light is this sort of inextricably linked uh, environmental factor, whether it's physics or biology to to humans, right? You know, we, we are, you know, light is arguably the source of all life on the planet Earth. Um, and so, you know, it's also something that, you know, that in the advent of artificial light was completely disrupted from from the normal, you know, the normal trajectory of the way the universe was evolving, right? I have so, to correct you. I have uh, to correct you because all the listeners are screaming at the TV, at their, their podcasting app right now. There's no such thing as artificial light. There's only electric light. That's what they call right. it. The scientists get all pissed off at me because I used to say that all the time and I still say it sometimes. But I know what you mean. But you know what the funny thing is like light, this idea of of uh, of you know controlling light in the, the IoT world is such a buzz right now with so many different angles, and which is why we were interested in interviewing you because so many people are trying to capture this IoT thing, and lighting is like a hub of it for some reason. It's for some reason lighting guys and lighting people and lighting control systems seem to think that they're going to be the center of the Internet of Things. Do you get that feeling too, Greg? Yeah, I mean, at this point, that's where it's at. It's it's all about the control people that feel that. Yeah, and like lighting lighting control guys seem to think that 
the the control of lighting or the the light the light switches or the lighting is going to be the hub of all controls of all things and you know it's interesting that that thrust is there in this industry but you know it's interesting you said about about light um and being able to to automatically correct or to automatically adjust based on an algorithm or something knowing it so i it knows that you know when you go downstairs you dim the lights at this time and it's making these calculations tell me how you guys went about creating the rules of that software what was it that you went through when you guys were designing the software that works behind the, the light switch uh, so uh the rules i think the rules are um probably pretty intense to go through but i think what we started with was um when you're building an intelligent system, you know, the first set of things to do is to make sure it doesn't do stupid things, right? You know, like that's, you know, a, a way of, um, of, of making an intelligent system is to, you know, one way is to say like, hey, we're going to try to incorporate every single possible input that possibly could be brought into the system and use something extremely complex. It's almost not human understandable, like something like a deep learning algorithm or something like that to then sort of output an answer. Um, and then, you know, maybe that answer is right, maybe that answer is wrong, but you don't really understand how it gets its answer. So, you know, how do you, you don't understand why it's making its decision. We took a slightly different approach, which was, um, you know, to start with a core experience, which was, you know, hey, the lights turn on when you enter the room mm -hmm. and hey, the lights turn off when you don't. Um, okay. and then we measured, uh, or when you're not, and then we measured what we called, um, uh, you know, essentially, it, it's called a autonomous control rate is a very sort of inter insider term, but um, it's essentially measuring human intervention. So the number of times that, that a human would come in and uh, override the system to a different state than was, you know, programmatically decided um, relative to all total lighting changes. And that's our performance measure, right? Um, and then the other one was sort of how long did we know that the room was vacant and the lights were still on, right? And so that's a cost of the system. Um, and then we started just making sort of simple steps up the ladder to improve those rates. So, um, you know, for example, when the room is filled with natural light, a human would normally not turn the light on. Um, and so you would see in the system that, you know, if Oro turned the lights on, uh, a user would often come over and turn the lights off. Um, and so that's a, it, it, that, that shows that lowers our sort of baseline rate of, of computer controlled. Um, and it, it identified an event for us to create rules around. Um, and so, you know, we start out with, um, hey, like, let's just pick a, a basic level of light at which uh, the lights um, won't turn on when it's that bright. Oh, well, actually, the way that artificial light hits a switch, depending on its location in a room, is not, you know, consistent in every room. Um, and so you start to sort of you continue to sort of make simple steps, but you're sort of increasing the uh, the coverage of the rules um, until you get to a place where you're you're moving in a direction um where these sort of key metrics are getting better um so we did a lot of that first um and then we you know started to sort of see that you can't treat every room the same right so you know well one is you know greg uh your living room is different than you know michael's living room um it's different in form it's different in windows it's different in location of the switch it's different in how people use it um and so you need to begin to sort of allow the each and every switch is sort of adjust to what it sees um, in, in any place where it's installed. Um, so, for example, we can understand where motion activity originates in a room when it goes from an vacant to an occupied state. Um, after a number of times of that, you can so hang on a second. Hey, hang on a second. Hang on. This system knows how far away you are from the switch. Is it measuring does like not distance? Know how far Okay. It does not it's not time of flight. It does not know how far you are. At least not with the current set of sensors that we have. Does it knows what um, angle you come in the room at? It does. Hmm. So it knows that you're coming in on its left side. <laughs> on my left side, these naked apes walk in. <laughs> well, well, think of it as as you know, you know, whether it's your phone, whether it's your smartwatch, whether it's your car, there is a whole bunch of sensory oriented data that can be sort of brought out of even a small set of sensors. Each of those things indicate um, something about the context of what's happening around the switch. Um, and so the question is sort of which of those things are you listening to and which of those things actually have 
uh, we would call it integrity, but what, which of those things actually mean something that's positive about the, the decision you're trying to make. Mm -hmm. um, and so, for example, um, the, the direction at which a person enters a room when they enter the room for the first time is a very high indicator that someone's entered. The inverse of that is how many, you know, if you're seeing something move in the other direction, it's an indication of someone's likely to have left the room, mm, right? And they're probable, they're probabilistic models, right? So just because you go by a switch doesn't mean you actually left. You might have like walked to the door to like yell down the hall at your, uh, you know, at your kids. Um, but with enough data and as, as individuals, we're creating an immense amount of movement data in our home every day, right? Just think about the night when you go home. Like kinetic movement, kinetic movement. Yeah, I mean that's like you know, uh, you know, it, it's it, it's not the right sort of direct comparison, but like think about your web browser and you're clicking around on the internet and like all those places, your scrolls, your clicks, things you're stopping to look at, all of those things sort of indicate sort of what you're trying to do on the internet. Um, that similar type of of approach can be applied to the physical monitoring of or physical sensing of your movement and occupancy of room. And you know, that can tell us where you're going to be, what you want to do, um, and how long you're going to be there, um, all of which allow us to make decisions about where the light should be at any given time. I got an anecdotal story for you, okay? Which is, you might find interesting, you may not. I don't know. So, my daughter came home. I can home already from... tell I'm not going to find it interesting. Okay, there you go. Thank you. You're fired, Colin. You're <laughs> off my show. <laughs> no, but I had a, uh, my daughter came home from school one day. This is like two or three years ago. And she said, you know, Dad, I got asked a funny question today in class, and I, I was the only person that answered no. And so the teacher asked them, you know, how many kids here's parents have to remind them to turn off the lights in their house, right? And all the kids are like, yeah, my dad's always telling me to turn the lights off in the basement, or he puts his hand up, right? Now, I have all lighting controls in my house. They're legacy, so you don't have to turn off any lights in my house. Okay? You, you walk into the bathroom, the light's on, the fan's on, you leave, five minutes later, lights go off, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They're legacy, there's not, nothing smart about them. They just pass them in for red and they're well commissioned. But anyway, so my daughter was like, oh, like you guys don't have lighting controls in your house? Like my kids don't even think about turning off a light switch. Like there's no consideration in their head at all that when they enter, a, like if, if my daughter were to enter a room and the lights don't come on, it's weird for her. You understand? Because at my office yeah. and, you know, when she enters a room, the lights automatically come on in her house. Oh, and when it's time for bed, she goes and turns off the, 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 the sensor. And the sensor goes off and then she'll turn it back on in the morning. And then for the whole day, it's on and it goes off and on based on whether she's in the room and there's a little dimmer, blah, blah, blah. So you can dim the lights or whatever, but not as smart as the, the Oro switch, but the same idea. And it was interesting because when you were talking about creating those software rules, it reminded me of me teaching my electricians how to actually commission occupancy sensors in a room, right? Where to position the occupancy sensors, how to look at a space and see, oh, actually, there's two doors to this wing, so we need an occupancy sensor here, and we need one over here, and we're going to join those two together so it can see the whole space. But they don't see outside the space. You understand what I'm talking about here? And when you're yep. talking about those software rules, you were actually kind of re-describing to me the way in which I taught my electricians to commission legacy-based sensors prior to all this smart sensor stuff. And it's like, it's the same rules. It's just instead of a human thinking about it and putting the sensors in the room, what you're saying is that an algorithm or a, a, some sort of software program is enabled to, to actually learn those rules as people use the space and then deploy them strategically moving forward, getting better and better and better as time goes on. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, what we wanted to do is we wanted people to understand what the system does. We wanted people to, to feel that it responded to them. Um, and adapted to their preferences in their home. Um, and then, you know, we wanted it to, to make sure that, um, that felt like a, essentially a non foreign, you know, you don't want to feel like you're, you're out of control. Right. And so that's why it's still a light switch. Um, it's the same form factor. It's really sort of wants to sort of evaporate into your existing home as much as possible. Um, but yes, you know, I, I think it's, uh, very similar. You know, you could do a lot of this with a whole disparate system of sensors, but you don't need to because you can replace this with a single switch. Yeah, I'm not sure if I believe you yet, but um, I'm not sure. Like, I mean, a lot of people make, but listen, I'll tell you the magical mystery tour of lighting is in lighting controls right now. I'm telling you whether people need what them or not, whether they save energy or not, or, you know, this sort of stuff. It's, it's, 
it's a real, it's a battleground right now. And I don't know if there's any treasure after it. Is that a good way to put it, Greg? I would say so. Yeah. And we're trying to discover. Yeah. There's like a big battle right now in the lighting industry about IoT and light switches and lighting control systems and who's going to be the winner and whose platform is going to be adopted and, you know, uh, all these different angles on it. And, you know, at the end of it, I call them, I call this the lighting control system bus cycle. Because in my career, 20 years long in the biz, there's been like these cycles of lighting controls where it's been like a cycle and a bus and a cycle and a bus and a cycle and a bus. And this IoT one, it's like maybe actually it might be a real, not that people didn't sell lots of controls or anything like that in the past, but just the lighting control system idea. And, and that's kind of been a bust, um, especially in the retrofit market, like, you know, not new construction, but putting in new systems. It's, there, you know, it's like a cycle there. Um, the final thing I'd like to say, and I, I sent you an email. You think, let me ask one uh, question. Sure. Do you, do you think, you know, let's like if you did Rip Van Winkle. You went to sleep for 40 years and woke up. Do you think that you're going to turn on a light switch in 40 years? Yes. In, your, in a house? Absolutely. So? For sure. Uh-huh. Yes. I'll tell you, you why. I'll tell you why. So the, did you ever read Nicholas Nassim Taleb's book, uh, Anti-Fragile? Uh, I do have not, but I'm, I get a sense. He wrote of the black, the black swan. He wrote all these books. Yeah. Whatever's older is likely to be last longer. So for example, like books are never going to be eliminated. There's always going to be books. Why? Cause books are older than eBooks. That's the simple basic reason is that if something has lasted a long time, there's something anti-fragile about it. There's something about it which will move forward into the future. And I think there's something about light switches which will be pervasive for a long time, maybe forever, and till the end of our species. And the reason why, I think there'll be lots of people that do smart home switches and all this sort of stuff, but there's something basic about the light switch that will always be there. That's embedded functionality, very low cost, super easy to use, doesn't require any commissioning that will push it forward into the future for generations. And I just, and not that I don't think there's room for all sorts of different technologies in that. What I'm wondering is the difference is whether or not um, humans will be around to switch the light. I think the light switches will still be there. But uh, whether or not we'll be, you know, because like you think I'm going way off topic here, but I got a couple different things that have just been popping in my head as I've been yeah. talking to you because I, I don't know why sometimes when I'm having, it's my my show, so I talk about whatever I want. But, you know, it's interesting because you hear about like global warming or climate change, right? And you have all these like people are at work and trying to save energy, trying to reduce carbon emissions and all that sort of stuff. And it's interesting because what people are actually talking about is the end of days, right? Like if these guys are all right about the stuff, they're talking about the end of the world, right? So I find it fascinating that, you know, it's like, oh, you know, the end of the world is coming in 50 or 100 years, but you need a, you need a fancy light switch to stop that from happening. So a lot of this stuff, you know, when we're talking about it, it's, you know, I'm looking at it, it's like, you know, 40 years from now, I'm going to be dead and gone. Um, maybe not, might be 82, but the, you know, the idea of the oral light switch, I think what's happening here is we're really on the, we're really just landed on the shore of this idea of smart home or in, in engaging with technology in a way that's um, outside of our commissioning. It commissions itself as a very new thing. And I think it's an exciting product you've created. Um, but I don't know if I th- it, it may, in my mind, to me, it looks like a prototype, Colin. And I hate to say that. You know what I mean? To say that to you. But to me, it's like, there's so many different types of control systems, Greg, and we don't know which one's going to be the winner, but there's going to be a winner and it's going to be adopted and it's going to take 20 or 30% of the market and the rest is going to be dimmers and light switches. That's what I think. I don't know what you tell me, Greg. Yeah. I mean, you've obviously thought about it a lot more than I have. I think about the next sale here, but um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think, yeah, you're, you're right to some degree. I think, you know, there's so many definitions of what, of what a switch is. If you talk on a toggle yeah. switch versus an on-off sensor, I, I think a lot of things will become sensors. And it's just a matter you still have manual capability to do it. With your Oro switch, you have manual capability. It just has that built into it. So 
I don't know what the answer is, but how much is I, it I retail for? for? How much is it re- how much does it retail for? If you buy a single switch, it's one ninety nine, and then it goes down from there as you buy more. Okay, so there's like a cost thing to it. Eh? Um, one more point for you. There's a lot of words that are thrown around, and I, I don't know if you even have the answer to this, but like artificial light, uh, artificial intelligence. Isn't something either intelligent or it's not? You can't really have an artificial intelligence. It's still human intelligence. It's just programmed, right? Well, so I wouldn't call what we're doing artificial intelligence, right? At least okay. not in the way that it's sort of part of uh the sort of common specter of, of mainstream today, sure. right? Um, so what I consider, you know, I don't know whether it's a distinction without a difference, but um, it's machine intelligence, right? It, machine. It's, a, it's a machine that learns how to adjust what it senses and it follows a set of rules and algorithms to come out with an answer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, artificial intelligence, you know, or general artificial intelligence, um, you know, would posit the synthetic creation of knowledge or understanding that has, has not existed before based on a set of processes and calculations that a computer did. Um, so um, that's different. That's definitely not what we're doing. Mm. Um, you know, your home is not going to become sentient with Oro and then <laughs> you decide, decide oh, whether or not your, your door can open, um, but your lights are going to respond to you as you walk mm. around your house and you're not going to have to think about it. How many um, and did then, you have? Can you have multiple of these in a bank of switches? And will they work? You can. Um, so it's the exact same form factor as a standard dimmer from Lutron or Leviton or any of these other folks. So um, that means you can start with a single switch if you want to try it out and see if um, you know if Michael's right and this is a bunch of bullshit or if this is you know actually the real thing. Um, but you can put three of them side by side if you want. Um, and we're having you know additional product come out at the end of this year and early 2020. Um, that will make that, um, you know, sort of more of a choice, right? If you really want sort of all the integrations and capabilities that come with the existing switch, you can put, you know, one in each of those rooms where those matter. Like you don't need a voice assistant on every single switch in your, mm. you know, triple gang. Um, and then a connected sort of lighting products um, that bring the other light sources in your home into that system and, and leverage the intelligence of that um, for controlling it. Um, and so, um you know, it's really seamless to get started. Um, and what we see is that most people come back and they buy more of them. Hmm. You said you said earlier uh, that there's a life rating of 10 years. Is there an hour rating on these? And do you envision them having to get replaced every 10 years? Um, we, we designed everything the same way you design a car, which is you work fr- backwards from a 10-year lifetime. Um, and do things last longer than a 10-year lifetime? Absolutely. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you don't know for sure and you, you can only sort of do mean failure times. So um, that's where we started. We you know, basically borrowed a lot of components that you normally find in your car because, you know, they're they're more reliable um, and durable. Um, and and so uh, at 10 years, you know, we haven't reached that point. Now, no, our switches last lasted for 10 years. So um, I can tell you that I'm pretty sure that they'll go far longer than that. But um, that's our commitment in terms of of what you should expect. Um, from what we can see, Lutron doesn't even really tell tell you their switches are going to last longer than seven years. So um, right. there's sort of um, an industry expectation of once you start to incorporate electronics, which most dimmers are having today, right? If you want to sort of control or dim an LED, there's some level of, of electronics that are incorporated into the load control. Um, that you're now dealing with, you know, a set of things that are not purely mechanical. It's not steel or another alloy for a potentiometer. And so, um, from that perspective, you know, you may have to replace them, but it'll probably not be while you're still living in your home in most cases. And and just quickly again on the dimmability function. So you need the light bulb to be dimmable. Uh, there are LED screw-in light bulbs that are non-dimmable. So you it can control so, on and off. So it can, you can, okay. uh, the, if you select a non-dimmable bulb, right, then Aura will turn either lights on or off. Um, if you want the benefits of the range of dimming and what comes with that, both in uh, the sort of ways that it'll impact um, sort of the biology of, you, uh, of your, of your, you know, system, um, you, we recommend dimming. Um, you're, you're welcome to use it with non-dimmables if you want. It would control every light on that circuit the same way. Correct. Okay. 
And then so you wouldn't kind of in closing on my end, I think, Mike, this might be a question for you too, but, you know, when we talk about light and health and smart lighting and what it's all about, is it the color quality or is it the level of light? I, I don't know the answer to, you know, and then right now, Oros and we're, we're talking levels of light. Other people come out and say, it's, make it color changeable. So what's the right answer? It's, it's, so it's both, Greg. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'll sort of, the circadian rhythm, which is really the system that we're talking about here, um, is essentially a, you know, a dance between two hormones in your body. One's called cortisol and the other is called melatonin. Cortisol is a stress hormone, baby brother of adrenaline. It helps you stay focused. It's really what helps us stay awake. Um, and tonin is sort of the opposite of that. It's sort of comedy down. It's really the, the gatekeeper or the starting gun for most of the processes associated with sleep. Um, melatonin is actually connected to the absence of light, right? So there's an interesting difference there, right? So, um, and, and then because they're a binary pair in the endocrine system, uh, the, uh, when cortisol is pumping, melatonin is not. Right. So you're and you're sort of going through a gradient. Think of it as like, you know, you know, a, a dimmer, if you will, from one to the other. Um, so if you have blue spectrum light, so you have sort of cool temperature lights in your home um, after the sun goes down and they're on, they're going to have a stimulative effect on cortisol, um, which is going to delay or inhibit the onset of melatonin. Um, now, if you really want to you know, you know, you know, you know, who knows that very well. It's interesting because I had a we've had a bunch of scientists on, and uh, they were talking about the health effects of lighting. And I said, you know what you should do is you should go and find the designer of the MGM Grand Casino in Las Vegas, because they have known for decades that when you shine white light into somebody's eyes all night long, they'll give you their paycheck. They'll stay awake. They'll get into like a weird. Uh, they'll screw up the circadian rhythm. So. Casinos are circadian rhythm disruptors. And uh, so we've known for a long time that we can disrupt the circadian rhythm. That's not an issue. We know that we can disrupt it. Whether we can actually mimic it or we can actually aid it, uh, I don't think there's any proof of that yet. I'll, I'll send you some, some research. Uh, they have shown that if you put a person in, uh, in a room, give them all types of things to do, um, and and you, let's say, it's, you know, after they've been awake for hours because you have them and you need to be awake for a while to, to accumulate sleep. And then they stimulate, they simulate a sunset. So they basically remove food from the environment and stimulate, actively stimulate melatonin production. Um, so I don't think we're going to recreate the circadian rhythm for people. I think we're going to sort of remove the, um, the, the friction for our system to do the natural thing. Um, and so for us, what we do, um, and part of it is physics, is that even if you have a bad, uh, well, I don't want to say bad, you have a cooler color temperature light in a particular room, if you dim it, it's a power law of physics, uh, the, the actual energy in the photon halves, um, and its impact, you know, becomes, um, you know, halves with every dis- you know, every unit of distance that is between you and that source. Um, so dimming a, a, a cool temperature light in the evening will actually reduce its impact on you. Right. So, you know, one way of, uh, of color tuning is saying, Hey, I want to have a, a brighter level of illumination, but I want to decrease the negative impact of blue light. Um, and so that's like red or, you know, warm color temperatures. Um, in both of those cases, you're just removing the stimulative effect of blue light. You're not tr- you're not, you're not promoting the production of melatonin the way actually removing the intensity of light from the room is. I think there's something to the to the color of fire. I think there's something about that that is deeply embedded in our evolution. Um, that you know humans are used to being attracted to, feeling safe, feeling relaxed, feeling a sense of uh, wanting to go to sleep. That comes from that low, low color temperature of fire, the warm color temperature. There's something to it. Science, no scientist can tell me what it is yet, but I believe it. The second thing is that. I actually think that light to creatures walking upon the earth is a lot like water to sea creatures in that, you know, perhaps we're not aware of it totally yet, you know, we're like kind of like fish in water with light. We don't really even, it's hard for us to even conceptualize what it is because we're kind of swimming in it in a sense, even when it's dark. We're still in this same 
light fishbowl. And, you know, what, what was it that um, uh, uh, Adam, what's his name, uh, from UL? Uh, Lillian? Uh, Adam Lillian said, they did this study. They had all these studies of classrooms. Like he had, I think it was 200 or something like that, different studies. of light, Natural lighting classrooms. And they know that children that um, are in classrooms that have a lot of windows perform better. But they didn't know whether it was the natural light or whether it was the view or something to do with that. But then they actually, in the study, I think it was Adam, he said he found these particular studies where the kids had no windows, but they had solo tubes. You know those tubes? You had one in your bathroom at your old house, Greg, where it was literally yeah. a, a, a skylight, but you couldn't see the sky, but it was allowing natural light to come in the classroom. And those kids performed better too. That's very interesting. You know, it's like, why, what is it with the light from the sun and the electric light we create? Is there something different that we don't know about? Yeah, we're like fish in a fishbowl. Maybe the fish can live in the fishbowl and he can swim around and he doesn't know he's not in the ocean, but he's not going to live as long and it's not as healthy as an environment as it, as it is swimming in the ocean. Maybe light is the same thing for us. And maybe what people need is just more, more natural light in their lives, whether it's, um, you know, uh, brought in from the skylights or whatever. And I think there, I think we're, again, that's another place where it's almost like with light, it's like figuring out the software from inside the program. Does that make sense? Like light is our operating system. It generates life. It creates, all of our fossil fuels are actually stored light energy in a sense. Yep. Right, um, you know we're. I think, I think it's a fact, right? Yeah, it's a, it's stored light energy, right? The, the plants grew, they got crushed, they were in the way. If that, I mean, there's even theories that people say that that's not even what it is. It's that plate tectonics creates oil, but that's a, I mean, that's a whole other you know conspiracy theory. But what's interesting, you know, we're on this like wet rock spinning around a nuclear fission reactor at 14,000 kilometers an hour and the fission reactor spinning around this other thing at 100,000 kilometers an hour. And it's like the whole thing is like an aquarium of light. And here we are inside of all that and we're looking at this and we're, we're trying to find out ways that we can not have a light switch anymore, Colin Billings. <laughs> uh, you're always going to have a light switch. Uh, I, you know, I agree with that. I think that there's always going to be, be us control in the room, um, mm -hmm. but you're not going to control your lights every day, right? You know, you're not going to think about it, you know, 50 plus times a day to have to do that like you, or you're probably doing today. Or, you know, if you have a system, you're probably a bit better off than that. Colin Billings, thanks for being a guest on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Um, if you want, send me up one of those switches and I'll put it in my studio here. I'll see how it works. All right. All right. In your studio, not in your home? I'll put it in my home, wherever you want, man. I have I own an electrical contracting right. company, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> we can make it happen. Too sweet. Folks, thank All you for right. listening. Bye for now. Keystone Technologies. Go to K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-Z-A.com, baby. KeystoneTech.com, Greg. That was a fired up one there. I don't know if I could follow that. but I'll You know why? I love Keystone, man. I love my friends at Keystone. I love Josh Brown and Ira and all the guys down there. I think they got great products, and they're coming out hot with what? Vapor tight fixtures. So in addition to all their retrofit products, they got awesome vapor tights, 2 foot, 4 foot, 8 foot, roughly 2,000 lumens up to 12,000, DLC premium listed. And you know what else Keystone does? Other than we talked about at the beginning, they put stainless steel clips on like you should always do in a vapor tight. They include mounting hardware. Woo, that's fun. Oh, thank you. Thank yes. you. Yeah, it's so good. Just include it. I don't want to think about all that. I, oh, I got to get a hanging kits to put them up? <laughs> Keystone does it for me. Thank you. So go to KeystoneTech.com. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com. You know what Keystone does really well on top of making their new vapor tights? They listen to their customers, Greg. That's important, as we found out. Oh, Isn't yes. <laughs> they listen to their customers. They're very good at listening. They're very responsive. Great sales reps, great order desks, great people. So you got to go to KeystoneTech.com. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com. A great nailed vendor sponsoring Nailed's podcast. They are one of the best. And they're a great organization to be a part of, not only Keystone, but also Nailed.
That's right. The National Association of Innovative Lane Distributors. If you've lasted this long and you're still listening and you're mowing your lawn, why aren't you a member of Nailed, dude? You're listening to this podcast and you're not a member of Nailed. Where do you think we learned all this crap? Like, how do you think we got the knowledge in our 40s to sit around and talk about light bulbs all day on, on, show, on three shows a week? You think it was magic? Oh, Colligan's a genius. Greg Eric's a genius. No, man. We hung out at Nailed. We met all sorts, all the great people in Nailed. And we sat around, talked about light bulbs for hours and hours and hours. And then eventually one day we said, you know, guys, maybe we should record this. And <laughs> number one podcast. information. <laughs> number one That's podcast good. in the industry. So if you're still listening, man, and you're not a member of Nail, shame on you, son. Thanks to Colin for Morrow. Uh, you know, hey, exciting piece of technology there. You know, we question him on the show. There's a lot of stuff like that out there. He's in a busy space. That's the problem there. Is yes, it? but it's interesting to know about, at least. And I guarantee you, remember he asked me mm -hmm. if there's going to be light switches in 50 years, and definitively the answer is yes. There for sure will be toggle light switches in 50 years. And even, even if we live in a simulation in the matrix, in the virtual reality or the revealed reality, remember revealed reality, Greg? Or the mm -hmm, augmented mm -hmm. reality world we all download our consciousness into, those will have light switches too. So we're going to check back in September of 2069. And there'll still be light switches. Guaranteed, okay. son. <laughs> Get a grip on lighting.com and naild.org, baby. Thanks for listening. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. You are lost, Lord is there to find you.